0: How's everyone today? Well, I'm glad you're in good health. Yes, praise God for that. I know we've had a, a little bit of a, a downturn here, so uh, we just keep praying for those that are not able to be with us. They're here in spirit. Many of us, uh, many of them, many of you, I should say, were here for the last Sunday of the month, and I and I was assured that there would be more here again because it's the first Sunday of the of the year, and um, and we we ended in hope, and we want to continue in hope because the church is the hope of the world. Um, as we started off in First, Thes- uh, First Timothy, Timothy, by the way, the, the name Timothy, uh, Timotheos, is um, is one who uh, honors God. If you know anybody, his name's Timothy, that's what his name means in Greek, one who honors God. And Timothy is one who had honored God, and Paul noticed that, and he saw him, and he says, you know, Timothy, I, I really... I, real, I am really impressed at how your mother and your grandmother, and we'll see here in just a little bit, on how both of them uh, have been able to raise you and to teach you in, in, the right, in the right way. And it's interesting that because he was already a disciple, one that um, loved God, and uh, he, he heard the message, I'm sure from one of the messages that probably Paul taught in Derby or somewhere else, you know, where he was at. And, uh, and so what, what uh, Paul did is, he says, you know, I want to take you under my wing. And for 15 years, Paul discipled this man. For fifteen years he discipled him and grew him up in the faith where he came to be known as my true child of the faith as a matter of fact, he was Paul's spiritual son. he gave him that uh, that 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 very beautiful type of connection this um, uh, this connection that they had as as a father and a son. And, and he would talk to him in such a way. He would Actually, I'm sure he, he even reprimanded him in such a way. He reprimanded him, he talked to him, and he loved him like a father would a son. And, uh, and, and so he left Timothy in charge of overseeing the church in Ephesus. Timothy was a young man, couldn't have been more than 20 years old, some people believe. But he was also, as I said, one that honored God because of his upbringing. Now, just because we're brought up in the church doesn't mean that we have have it all together. As a matter of fact, if you're brought up in the church, sometimes I think it's a little dangerous to really think about, um, you know, that you you have it all together. You were brought up in the church, so therefore you're you're good. You know, you're you're coming in under your mom and dad's uh, coattails, and but but really, every one of us have to come to a point where we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize that we are lost. That we recognize that we're sinners, and we recognize that we need a savior. And so in in this case, as Paul had taken up Timothy, he started to share with him and talk to him about the things that needed to happen in his life. And because Timothy just soaked it all up, Paul says, you're ready. You're ready to be the next leader of this church. And it didn't happen overnight. As a matter of fact, we're going to go over a few things right now as to what a true child of the faith is. And, And Paul doesn't really... Label them out for us. We have to kind of go through the book of First and Second Timothy, and sometimes even a Titus, to, to kind of get these ideas and, and these and these uh, these points that we're going to be pointing to, and we're going to be looking at. And and, and you know, just so you know, um, you you probably already have some of these points, if not all of them. So this is kind of a reminder, a refresher. We're going to start the year off right. So let's start from the beginning. You know, this is this is uh, like Vince Lombardi once said. You know, this is a football. He said to his kid, we're going to start from the beginning. He says, this is a football. I want you to know, we throw this and we catch it. Now, most of you probably already know that. So this is a Bible, all right? We read it and we study it and we memorize it and we apply it to our life. And as we go into this season of uh, growing as disciples, we want to understand that we we have to always go back to the basics, always go back. And so this is what Paul is showing us, at least through the book of Timothy, in in the first verse and the second verse. (coughs) Excuse me. But let me me go ahead and just read the first two verses in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Lead us in a word of prayer, and then let's just go over um, our outline today together. Uh, First of all, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace Mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father in heaven, thank you once again and uh, helping us to recognize there's so much packed in just these few words and that we can discern and we can decipher from the life of Timothy and the discipleship of Paul and how he was able to grow this young man to become a, a leader in this church, an influential leader, one that had uh, Paul's backing, one that had Paul's encouragement, one that was willing to do whatever it took. So we thank you, Father, for this young man and how 2,000 years later, we can read about what he went through and experienced and how he was uh, very influential in the writing of the New Testament and your glory and your power and your sustainability in this young man's life. Father, we desire to be Timothy's, to grow and to honor you in such a way that will honor this church and honor you throughout our life lead us this morning in all things we pray in jesus name and everyone says amen and amen (coughs) excuse me there as i said timothy one who honors god was named uh by his mother of all and his grandmother eunice eunice and and, and lois was their name Uh, they were they were no doubt uh Uh, devout Jewish uh, people that love God. And one of the things that we find out in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, by the way, that Paul came to the city, Derbe, and Lystria, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. In other words, his father was Grecian and his mom was Jewish, and it was not considered to be something that you should do. As far as Jews were concerned, Jews marry Jews, and to marry somebody else would create half breeds, is what they would consider. And it was really frowned upon if you did that, but somehow God had put these two together, he brought timothy's father which probably was no longer in the picture and timothy's mom and the grandmother all together god used them to raise him up to the point where he can be useful for the ministry see because at first and foremost when the gospel came out jesus came preaching only to the jews the disciples were all jewish and they only proclaimed the gospel to the jews and they continue to preach to the for the salvation of the jews now paul when he came in He sensed and he felt and God pushed him toward the Gentiles. In other words, there's a Jewish nation and everyone else is considered Gentiles. Whether you're you're French, whether you're Spaniard, whether you're German, whether you're Japanese, whatever whatever it is, if you're Hispanic, you're considered a Gentile. There's Jews and everyone else. And Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles and it really benefited Paul to have somebody that came from the Gentile lineage in a sense, but also from the Jewish lineage. Now, because he was Jewish, and uh, more Greek than anything else, his father didn't have him circumcised as most Jewish people would. So later in the ministry, Timothy was circumcised. Paul says, you know, I want to be able to take you places, so you need to become a Jew. And he became a full-fledged Jew by the traditions of how they would make a, a, a person a Jew. So now you have this order, this place that, that Timothy can go in both worlds. He's able to communicate in both languages. He's able to, to talk to both Uh, society social standards you know it's kind of like some of you guys you come from a dark cold world one maybe of gangs of drugs of violence and now you're in the world of peace and love and and harmony And, and and so God can use that and the more you grow up in this peace and love and harmony and the honoring of God you can still communicate and talk to and minister Not to hang out with, not to be able to uh, uh, condone their sin, but to be able to minister to them because you understand both sides of the story. Now, you don't have to be, you don't have to go out and make yourself a sinner and be all those other things just to minister to them. I'm not saying that, but God can take your background and your lineage and make you useful to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And Timothy was, was Paul's disciple. And not only was he uh, Paul's disciple, but he was Paul's friend. He was Paul's co-worker. He was a dear spiritual son. And by the time that 1 Timothy was written, as I mentioned earlier, Timothy had known Paul for 15 years. And so Paul leaves Timothy behind in Ephesus. The letter, the letter that we went through already, Ephesians, it was written in such a way, and I think we, if you remember correctly, we kind of went through that. Ephesians was written kind of like a, a blank statement or a blank letter. It was written in such a way that it was to be circulated. And, and it is given the title Ephesians because that's where it, they believe it started. It doesn't say this letter was to the people in Ephesus. It does say in the English translation, but that's where it started. But in the original manuscripts, it doesn't say to the people in Ephesus like most letters do, the people in Corinth. Uh, to the people in Philippi, uh, or to Timothy, my son. And so that's how we get the titles. But Ephesus or Ephesians was to be a letter that was circulated. It had no really uh, real uh, connection to anybody personally, but it started there in Ephesus, and it's, that's probably where it moved around to Laodicea, to all the other places in Galatia, the cities of Galatia. However, Timothy was the pastor at that time. This letter, 1 Timothy, was written about the same time Ephesus was. Paul was in prison remember when we went through uh, Ephesians we went through uh, uh, Colossians and we went through Philippians we said that Paul was in prison at this time first and second Timothy and the book of Titus which we call the pastoral epistles were also written in prison so more than likely this is about the same time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and as and as Paul is just reflecting he's he's in prison he's been in prison two years and he's in prison and he's he's thinking about his uh, in the Roman prison for two years. And he's thinking about his life and he's thinking about all the things that he's hearing that's going on in Ephesus. And, and so he sits down and he says, you know, Timothy, I want to write you a letter. This is Paul's heart. This is Paul's heart to a pastor. This letter is a letter to those of you that are in ministry and consider to be those working. Don't necessarily have to be a pastor, but this is Paul's pastoral letter to his pastor's son, and those that he is going to minister to. And, and, and through the book of Timothy, the letter of Timothy, we find there's direction uh, as far as the, how the church ought to conduct itself because it is the pillar and the buttress of truth. We find on how it is that we are to disciple, how it is that we are to pick our leaders, how it is that you're supposed to uh, comport yourself in the house of God. And Paul is so uh, passionate about the church and the body. He says, I want you to keep it pure. As a matter of fact, right after we get through this part right here, the very next step, Paul's dealing with uh, with heresy. He's dealing with false prophets. He's dealing, you know, if you, if you look at it in verse 3, he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from god that is my faith now as we've been going through first thessalonians and second thessalonians as we went through galatians as we went through ephesians as we you know paul has always Always talking about this deception, this deceiving, this uh, false prophets, false apostles. Jesus told us in Matthew 24 during the last days, and and I'm sure some of you felt that earthquake. They call it a foreshock uh, because there was no aftershock. So people are getting ready because that means, and I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of a foreshock. It's probably a new term. They're trying to scare everybody. I don't know. But, you know, they they called it a foreshock. In other words, something greater is going to happen. So right away, people go to the Bible and say, well, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes in diverse places, and we've never had an earthquake in Lytle Creek. You know, well, well, yes, we do. That's where the San Andreas Fault goes through. I mean, it's, it's just that whole line goes right underneath my house up that way. So, you know, if there was an earthquake that was centered underneath my house, people would go, oh, wow, there was an earthquake at your house. Well, I sit on the San Andreas Fault. We all sit on the San Andreas Fault, okay? So it's going to happen. However, people start to worry, just like the War of Israel. Is this the end time? The very first thing that Jesus Christ said was not the wars and rumors of war. Thank you, Mijo. You're right. That's right. It wasn't all those things. What it was, the very first thing Jesus says, do not be deceived. And he talks about deception through this whole Olivet discourse in Matthew 24 about don't watch out for false apostles. Watch out for prophets. Watch out for the deception. And the very first thing Paul deals with here in Ephesus, he says, you know what? You have to stay there. You have to remain strong. And we'll talk about this here in just a little bit. And instruct people and teach people that they are not to be teaching any different doctrine. Now, how do you know if it's a different doctrine? How, how would you know? Well, first of all, you got to know the right doctrine. And I know there are a lot of people that say, I, I don't want to deal with doctrine. I just want to deal in Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus, that's all I want. Don't tell me about doctrine. Don't deal with doctrine. That's just too complicated. It's too hard. But you know, one of the things is, how, how are you going to know? How are you going to know if it's true doctrine or if it's not? How are you going to know unless you see it in scripture? One of the things that we have been so fortunate with is that uh, we have been able to read God's word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, and even in this verse, we're only reading one verse today to get the, just the, the sense of what Paul is saying and how it opens up and how we're able to see the, the history behind it and why Paul would write this letter. And so we're so blessed to be able to have this information because there have been fathers before us and, and forefathers that have read and that have studied and have deciphered and, and taken apart the Greek words, the, the nuances and everything else that it means, and, and has, they, they've given them to us. And so now we are able to to look at the word and and study with other resources and look at what God's word says so that we can apply it to our life. And we get to see what Paul is trying to get across. And his main concern, his main concern, as a matter of fact, right before he left to be arrested in Jerusalem, he tells the people in Ephesus, he gathers the elders. He gathers all the elders and he says, I want you to watch out because those dogs are going to come in. They're going to come in and they're going to want to shift everything and change everything to please themselves. And that's all people want to do is they want, they want to hear things that itch and scratch their itchy ears. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be told that they're sinners. They don't want to be told that they're going to hell. They want to, They want to know all the good stuff. You know, t- tell me that I'm going to be blessed and highly favored and, uh, you know, that I'm going to receive all this, these blessings and, and all the spiritual stuff that's going to happen. Give me that stuff. Make me feel good. Someone once said to me, I, you know what, I'm sorry, man, but I, I, I got to go to church. I got to go to church to feel good, you know. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what Paul is talking about. As a matter of fact, the very first thing he says here, he says, watch out that nobody teaches that false stuff. The phrase, a true child of faith, in the faith, you know, it, it kind of shows us the inside of who Timothy was. A true child of the faith has to be uh, recognized for certain qualities, certain things that are taking place in Timothy's life. And, and Paul uses the word technon. Technon was the word as, uh, and, and true, the true uh, the word that he's using is the word that, another word that is, you know, it's, it's real. It's like he birthed this technon, this child. Instead of huyas, this is my son. Instead of the word hwios, he uses technon. And technon is more of a child that is given by birth. And Paul says, I literally birthed this son in the spiritual faith. I can be called, and I can consider myself a spiritual father to this young man. Because I know this man. I knew his past. And I know where he comes from. And I raised him up. But we find at least five things that we can find out about a true child of faith. Number one, a true child of faith has divine salvation. I mean, that just goes without... Without actually mentioning. But you cannot be a true child of the faith unless you're saved. You know, you cannot be a true child of the faith unless God has opened your heart and Jesus Christ has entered. You cannot be a true child of the faith unless you have recognized that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior to walk around this world to think that everything is okay, to think that all things are working out together for good because God has blessed me, God continues to give me, God continues to take care of me. Do you know, by the way, that God also blesses, gives, takes care of, protects everybody else on the world? God causes his sun to shine on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. God causes his sun and his rain to fall on the good as well as the evil. And to say that you're getting all these blessings because God blesses you and loves you is kind of to say, well, yeah, God does that to everybody because he loves his creation. He created this world and he created mankind for his glory. And he wants you to give back the glory to him. Unfortunately, for a lot of people that aren't being uh, blessed, I guess you would say, because because there's there's two types. There's grace. God gives grace to everybody. Okay, there's common grace. All of us receive that common grace that, you know, wow, I could have died there. Whoa, I can't believe that happened. Man, you know, I didn't deserve that, but God took care of me anyways. And then there's that saving grace. Common grace we all get. Everybody gets common grace. But saving grace is that grace that takes you from the pit of hell and brings you to the doorstep and the throne of salvation. And you enter into eternity with God. At that point in time, saving grace is the grace that is more important than any other grace that you can receive. And we're all gracious. We do things for people that don't deserve it. We do it anyways. God gives you things that you don't deserve, but, but you know what? That's his common grace. And to think that that is sufficient because I'm doing well, I'm doing good, I'm not sick, I'm prospering, I'm making all kinds of money, God must be smiling on this child is to be deceived. And we'll see this later. As Paul says, I, I, I want you to know that, that uh, as Paul says later, he'll say that the, that money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I want you to command those that are rich to be generous. You know, not to be thinking that it's all for them. I want you to, you know, and, and he's talking about these riches and how you should out be behaving with the finances that you receive. They're not for you. They're not so that you can hoard it. We'll get into that much later. But it's, it's so that you can bless other people. And, beloved, I want you to know something. When you understand this ability to bless other people and to be able to use what God's given you to bless others, it's just like God just pours it on you because not for you, but for others. He wants you to distribute it and bless other people. He wants you to be a conduit. And so, a divine salvation is necessary to be a true child of the faith. And, um,. In, in, in the very first verse in your outline, he says this, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe as he's talking to Timothy in chapter four, verse 10. And as a matter of fact, in first Timothy six, he calls Timothy a man of God. Oh, you man of God. He says, you are a man of God. I know you are because of your salvation, because of your faith. He was not only called uh, uh, the eternal uh, eternal life to God, but he also publicly confessed his faith in Christ. Somewhere down the line, in in 2 Timothy 1.5, it says here, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you. I can see that faith. I can sense it. I know that you are a true child of faith you know how i know you're a true child of faith because you act like it because number one you're saved you have this divine salvation yeah you you're dedicated to a life of humble service because you're you're determined sound doctrine because of the way you live your life just like i know uh, a beautician i know that they are a beautician or a hairstylist because of the way they cut hair if I go to somebody and I say, hey, can you come? Oh, yeah, we, I can cut your hair, sit on right here, And I come out with, you know, this hair is out this way, and that way all cut up and crooked and everything. I'm going to have second thoughts about it. I don't think you're a beautician. I don't think you're much of a stylist. As a matter of fact, I think you messed up my hair. Thank God it grows quickly. If you go to a chef and he says, I've been to the finest schools, I've got the finest books, I've learned so much from so many different chefs, and, uh, you know, I've cooked up the best meals for all sorts of people, and he invites you over to his house, and then you sit down and you go, what in the world is this? And you know, you know that that is not scrambled eggs. You know that that's not an omelet. Something went wrong here. How do you know that of a true child of faith because of how they comport their life? I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter how you express it. It doesn't matter what you think or what you believe. It's a matter of how you respond in certain situations, how you act. See, doctrine, we're going to see here in just a bit, doctrine. Doctrine determines your behavior. And Paul was instructing Timothy to be careful, to make sure that no one comes in with anything different. As a matter of fact, um, as I was saying, you know, the circumstances of Timothy's conversion was one that, that was, very, uh, was very easy and, uh, and simple to see only because of who Timothy was. And uh, there were those in Ephesus in the, in the church where he was at. There was those in Ephesus that weren't as committed to the essential truths. Some, some that uh, were wanting to be leaders. As a matter of fact, in First 1 Timothy 1, 1.3, this is not in your outlines, but in First 1 Timothy 1, 1.3, it says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. There were teachers there. There were those who were teaching different things. And he heard about this. Paul heard about it and says, I want you to stay here and watch them and connect with them and also reprimand them do so. As a matter of fact, we'll learn later that Paul instructs Timothy to do this in public so that other people can recognize and realize that you got an eye on this church. Do this in public. And uh, you know, to do that in public today, it's, it can split a church. People get upset. Well, I really believe that he was okay. doesn't matter what you believe. Well, I really think that he was, you know, that she should have been a pastor. Well, I don't care what you think. What does the Bible say? And Paul will tell Timothy much later, he says, I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to, or to lord it over men. He'll say, yeah, you got to, okay, Well, but what does the Bible say? And salvation in your life will show what it is that you are. Just like anything else. If you tell me you're a painter, but don't have any experience in painting, I'm going to not believe that you're a painter. If you tell me that you're in the military and don't know how to shoot a gun, I don't think you're going to be, I'm not going to believe that you're in the military. Everything you do, is because of what you know and if you say you're a christian beloved do it be a true child of the faith as a matter of fact later on in first timothy 1 6 it says here that certain persons by swerving from these doctrines by the way have wandered away into vain discussions in chapter 4 verses 1 and 3 Paul will say this. Now, the Spirit expressively says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, Paul says, people are going to start judging you by, you know, don't get married or... Do, Be careful you marry, or you can marry whoever you want. Uh, Don't eat that food. You have to be a vegetarian. You know that the first people who were created were were created as vegetarians? Yeah, I also know that they were created naked. You know, and they they walk around with clothes on, so something has changed. You know, and so they'll they'll come up with, and these are people within the church, beloved, that Paul is telling them to be careful. Be careful with these guys, because they are coming in from within the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 20 and 21. Again, this is not in your outlines, but here it is. Oh, Timothy, he says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babbling contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And so you can recognize this. You can see it. A true child of faith is one that stands for the faith. Number two, a true child of, a true child of the faith has a devoted obedience. A true child of faith has a devoted obedience. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, in your outlines, it says this, let, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul knew that Timothy was so devoted. He was obedient. He understood what he had to do. And Paul says to you, know, I want you to set an example because I know you can do that, Timothy. You've shown me. It's that you're a man of God, oh man of God! You've shown me that you have divine salvation. Now have this uh, devoted obedience, and the New Testament over and over again talks about true believers living a life pattern of obedience. Again, if you're a believer, you obey. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There are a lot of people walking around saying, oh, of course I love Jesus. Oh, man, you know, I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. But you're living in sin, literally. You're living with somebody that you say is your fiancé. You know, a fiancé, not in the traditional sense, but a fiancé. You're living in sin. Your life, your mouth, your heart, everything that you do and say and and live. Well, of course, not on Sunday mornings while you're at church. Thank God. (laughs) Obey my commandments he says if you love me keep my commandments John 14:21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him John 14:23 Again Jesus said and answered If anyone loves me he will keep my words and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, over and over again, we are looking at this late, a little bit later as Paul is talking to not only Timothy and Titus, these three letters that we call the pastoral epistles. After we go through first and second Timothy, it's we're going to talk to Titus and Titus is being instructed in the same manner that Paul was to Timothy. And he tells Titus, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching, show integrity dignity and sound speech and the rest of that verse says this that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us you know one of the most disturbing things in the church is that people that claim to be christians and those in the outside world they look to the inside and they say really that's a christian i've shared this story with you many times before because it's so relevant even now and one day we, I went to this, this yard to pick up some material from uh, the, the yard that, that I was at. And, and I needed it for the church. And the guy says, so what are you guys going to do with it? He says, oh, we're using it for the church. We're going to be doing this. Oh, he says, I go to church. And his colleague says, you go to church? I go, I mean, just as plain as a, you go to church. And I told the guy, I says, you know, that's not a good thing. You know, that right now, after all these weeks or months or however long you've been working with this guy, you tell him, or he's finding out now that you go to church. Apparently there's a disconnect there somewhere. You don't want others, especially those outside, uh, to, to look at your life as an opponent. And he can, he, he, you know, when he looks at your life and he hears what you're saying and he sees, okay, you know, you can put them to shame. It doesn't matter what they say. God's good works are not a grounds for salvation. Not that you're going to be saved by getting, doing good stuff, but it is the, the person that is saved that do, that does good things. It's the person that is willing to devote themselves to the teaching of Scripture and then doing what they say. The reason we work so hard is not to be saved. The reason we work so hard is because we say, you know what, God, thank you. What else can I do for you? What else can I do for you? What else can I do for you? It's like I cannot do enough. I cannot outgive God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, not in your outlines again, Paul says this, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Paul keeps talking about this doctrine. He keeps talking about this doctrine. I want you to learn this doctrine. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. In 2 Timothy, we'll see that. Paul keeps telling them, learn the word, learn the word, know the word, know the word. I'm not going to give you anything else than what the word says. I want to give you the word. And uh, in, in First Timothy chapter 5, he's talking about the widows, the younger widows that, have, that that aren't married and they're kind of being busybodies and wandering around. And then he says, you know, some of them have already strayed after Satan because they've already tasted their freedom and they're doing whatever they want. And uh, and so it, it, it kind of comes down to what we talked about before in 1 John chapter 2. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You ever wondered why it is that it seems like a person that's on fire for Jesus, on fire for Jesus, and all of a sudden he just takes off, goes back to the life that he used to live? What was that? Well, Paul says, well, they were never of us. I mean, you can only fake, fake it for so long. You can only fool so many people for so long. You can only go so long before falling apart. And Paul says, and John says, "Well, the reason they went out of us is because they were never of us." That's why. You can only fool certain people certainly time, you, you can't fool God. You can't fool him at all." Number three: a true child of the faith is dedicated to a life of humble service. A true child of faith is dedicated to a, a life of humble service. Number one, once again, a true child of faith has a divine salvation. A tr- number two, a true child of faith is devoted, has a devoted obedience. And number three, a true child of faith is dedicated to a life of humble service. And we serve not because we want to get saved, we serve because we are saved. As a matter of fact, in 1 first, uh, first Timothy 4.12, he says, let no one despise you for your youth once again, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love and in faith and in purity." Serve as a servant, love as a servant, and, and do not stop. Set an example. Let other people see your example because of what God has done in you. <clears throat> I'm sorry, that was the wrong verse. In First Thessalonians 1.9, <laughs> that's where I wanted to go. A true child of faith is dedicated to a life of humble service for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. There is something dynamic that happens in a person's life and they see what you used to be like. And in this case, the people in Thessalonica were serving idols. They were serving Baals. They were serving Diane. They were serving all these Epidiotis and all these other uh, sex goddesses. And, and they were all just falling in line with what the culture was teaching them. And there was a lot of sex involved in their worship of idols. And it, it, it really just kind of mirrors what's happening today. There's a lot of sex involved in the worshiping of TV idols and the worship of all these other things that are going on love wherever you want and now it's infiltrated the church and there are some that condone it there's some say it's okay you know it's okay as long as your love as your love is genuine and they condone it and and this is what Paul is talking about Timothy watch out for that kind of stuff and he says to the, the people he says to the people he says in Thessalonica you know that that you, there's reports concerning the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true god and how you, you recognize that you were a sinner and that you needed saving. Salvation is marked by a servant's heart. You want to serve. There's some of you that serve just automatically. You do so because that's just in you. And some people don't, don't do it that way. Some people can't. However, when you're saved, you recognize, I need to serve. I need to do what I got to do. I, I have to work really hard in first timothy 1 3 paul once again paul says you know i'm going i'm I'm going to go to macedonia remain at ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine once again in uh, first timothy 3 6 he says uh, that a, a servant a leader he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. When you're, when we're talking about leadership, we're talking about elders. We're talking about pastors, talking about deacons. We're talking about those that serve in the church. Just don't throw anybody in there willy nilly just because they're, they're faithful, just because they've come to church, just because they, they work hard, just because they're, uh, you know, prosperous in the community, just because they look good. Don't do it. Try them out. In first Timothy, uh, 1 6 and 7 certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions so the elders are marked by humble diligent service and and those who are are working hard at it should be rewarded. He tells, he tells Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And in 519, he says, do not admit a charge against the elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, he says, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And as I was saying a little while ago, sometimes this is very, it'll tear a church apart, especially in our culture today all i have to do is reprimand one person and that person could ripple effect to everybody else and and then because we have such an open borders type of thing in the various churches what will happen is they just go to the church right down the street cause the same problem there then go down to the church the next 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 street and they'll do the same thing over and over and over again as they go on you know in ephesus it was just this one church in order to go to another church you had to go to a different city so it was kind of a, it, it wasn't a discipline in a sense to kick them out, but it was more of a discipline to help them grow. It wasn't to, to get rid of people, but it was to help them to, to, see, to see that you, you have to grow in your maturity and you have to blossom in what you're doing because it's, it's affecting the rest of the church. And in today's cultures, because we have so many different churches down. You know, I, I've had people that have come and, and you know, that, that, that have been here, and I've talked to them, and, and i talked to their pastor. And we come to find out there was a mutual disagreement. There was a mutual whatever it was. And so we, we, we try to, to help to mend, not to break up. We want to mend the churches. We want to keep our churches as well uh, in that same manner. And so, so those are the things that, that, that portray or look at, and those are the characteristics of a true child of faith. He has a divine salvation. He's devoted obedience. He's dedicated to a life of humble service. And number four, he's determined He has a determined, sound doctrine. He has a determined, sound doctrine. Doctrine, as a matter of fact, always determines behavior, by the way. You're going to act out on what you believe. You're going to do what you know. If you believe it to be true, that's what you're going to do. And this is why information is more than just information. It has to be transformation. (coughs) Paul Paul says to the people in Rome chapter 12 he says do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind our mind has to be renewed into thinking the way the Bible teaches us to think and to do what the Bible teaches us to do some people might call that brainwashing and you know what I say to that? yeah (laughs) you got to get your brainwashed Because your brain is cooking on something else. Your brain has been inundated by this culture, by these rules, by this everything else. And you have to be transformed, changed. Not not to follow lockstep and barrel like everyone else here. We're not cookie cutter churches. We take your, uh, your ability and who you are. We take you as an individual that God has created and help you change the way you think. Because naturally, and the way it's going right now, this world has been so effective in changing people's minds. You know, most, most kids don't even know who Adam and Eve is anymore. I remember one time I was teaching a group of kids. I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk, talk to you guys about original sin. They go, what's that? Oh, it's about, uh, you know, the, the very first people, Adam and Eve. Adam and who? Adam and Eve, you know, and these are high school kids. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting that many people don't even know the the very gospel message. People think that the gospel message is my testimony. People think the gospel message is music. Oh, yeah, I hear gospel all the time. I love some of those songs. Many people think the gospel message is, you know, just to to feed the poor. I mean, we should feed the poor. We should listen to godly music. You you know, you you should hear a testimony or two, but that's not the gospel. Most people don't even know what the gospel message is. And, And what's happened is, Sound doctrine, and, and you know, as I said earlier, some people say I, I don't, I don't want doctrine. Just don't get my mind all muddled up in that. Just give me Jesus. Which Jesus? Well, the Jesus of the Bible. Which Bible? You know, the, the Bible, Bible. I go. Are you talking about the Quran? Because the Quran says that Jesus was just a teacher. Or are you talking about the the Mormons' Bible? This is, Mormons say that Jesus and and the devil are brothers. Or are you talking about the Jehovah's Witness Bibles? Oh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Which which Bible? Well, the Holy Bible. You see, that's why you need doctrine. You need to know. You need the information. Because otherwise, you're going to fall on anything else. And there are a lot of Bibles out there, beloved. There are a lot of things that are out there that, that sound true. And they sound good. And because they sound good, you know, hey, well, that must be right. Well, they're being blessed. Look how... Great they are. Look how big they are. You can say that about the Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Uh, You can also say that of the Muslims. Look at their faith. They're willing to die for their faith. They're willing to die for a lie. And and so, yeah, we need to have right doctrine. And so when we have a determined, sound doctrine, you can be a, a true child of the faith because you know what the Word says. And we go through the word, as I said, and we'll go through the chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just so that we can see how Paul is teaching his uh, recipients. First Timothy 4, 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. First Timothy 6, 2, 4, teach and, in, and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, and the teachings that accords with godliness, he has puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as I said earlier, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of the prayers. You have to remember that when Jesus Christ came on the scene, there was a religious system of 8,000 years plus, that the jewish people had been following and all of a sudden jesus comes in a jew he didn't come to abolish the law but he came to fulfill the law and he starts showing them how to live this out and they're saying oh wait a minute that's not in our doctrinal teaching that's not in what we believe you know wait, what happened to the sabbath what happened to the foods what happened to you know hey you know what happened to all these things and jesus is teaching them you're not putting it into practice you're not living it out you're not giving it to the gentiles and Jesus is, and that's why he's murdered. He's murdered because he, he wanted to change things. And people were believing him. And so as they started to grow and realize that they, they, what they had done, and it didn't matter to them, they go, but that, that's, we did that. It'll all be squashed. But the disciples, what they did is they gathered together. Look, here's what the Bible says, the Old Testament. Here's what, and here's what Jesus Christ did. And it all matches up. And so that's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and of prayer. Beloved, we like to devote ourselves to the teaching of the Bible, the apostles. We love to fellowship with one another. And, beloved, if you stick around long enough today, this afternoon, you're going to see that we love to break bread together. Amen? <coughs> because we have, oh, it's not time yet. I was going to get ready to pray and let's go. <laughs> We're almost there. We have some bread breaking to do. Because we love you. We love each other. We need to spend more time together. They did it daily. Every day they did this. I think you would get tired of me after a while. You know, you got to go home, pastor. (laughs) I got no more food. But they did this daily because they were being fed, not only physically, but they were learning from the apostles. They were learning what Jesus Christ taught. them, And Jesus himself, He said this, he says, you know, there are a lot of words out there, but you got to take the words that I'm giving you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came up, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus Christ is our rock. He's got the information, and he's got the words that are rock solid. And yes, you know what? Rains are going to fall. Floods are going to rise. Winds are going to beat up against that house. You know why I know that? Because the very next verse, and it's not here, uh, but I'll tell you the very next verse. Jesus said this, he says, and any man, anyone then who, does, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Because the same rain falls, the same floods rise, and the same winds blow and beat on that house. And guess what? It does not stand. Because it does not have a solid foundation. You have to build your life on the rock, on the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine, he's equating his words with the solid foundation. And not listening to his words are like building on sand. And here in Southern California, thank God we got good foundations, amen? Some of our houses would have fallen this last week if if it wasn't for the foundations that we're built on. But, beloved, there's an earthquake that is coming that is greater than anything we've ever seen before, and you've got to build your life on the rock. Amen? And so Paul says to him, uh, you know, going back to Jesus in John chapter 8:47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And there are a lot of people that'll just be, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just like it's not penetrating. Why? Well, because they're not from God. I don't know how else to to point that, but Jesus is saying that. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to those people that have perpetrated this 8,000-year-old religion. He's talking about those that claim to be uh, lovers of God. He's talking to those that that wore the the fancy suits and said the fancy prayers and did the fancy traditions, did everything according to the law. He's talking to those guys that really believed that they were on target for God. And he says, but the reason you can't hear what I'm saying is because you just can't hear because you're not from God. You see, he goes on to say here a little bit later, Jesus does. He says, you know, you're slaves. He says, we're not slaves. We're fathers of Abraham. How can you say that we're slaves? He says, well, if you were fathers of Abraham, you would know who I am. But because you are not fathers of Abraham, you are fathers. uh, You're our children. You are children of the father, Satan. You're children of the devil. (coughs) For Jesus, it was cut and dry. It was in or out. It was black and white, left or right. It wasn't maybe they're just uh, you know following a different religion, or maybe they're just a little bit mixed. No. For Jesus says, you're either a child of God, a true child of, of the word or faith, or you're not. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. That's it. There are no thousands of religions in the world. There's only two. the sheep and the goats, the good fish, the bad fish, the wheat and the tares, the, the sheep and the wolves. Over and over again, Jesus points out there's only two. It's only God and Satan. And to deceive ourselves, thinking, well, we're okay. As long as I believe a little bit and hang out over here and get a little bit of this and a little bit. No. And Jesus is talking to these religious leaders like he's telling them, you guys are not true children of faith. He tells them straight up in their face, you are children of the devil. That's who you are. Because you do your father's deeds. And what do they do? They crucified him. So Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.11, command and teach these things. And again, in six two he says, teach and urge these things. And uh, 1 Timothy 7, he says, desiring to be teachers, uh, the, these people, they understand nothing. And they, they're, they're just making things up, Paul says. And it's interesting that in verse 20, in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, Paul points out some people. He points out a couple of people in there. He says, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if here I am talking to you guys about people that are doing evil in the church, and I point them out, I give you their names, I say, these are the two people they have caused a lot of damage in the ministry. People say, what's wrong with you? You know, gossiping about people. Here's two people, here's two men. Here's two men that have gone down in in infamy. For the last 2,000 years, people have known these two men, and and there's others that Paul is going to talk about. There's others. Alexander is another one. Demas is another one. We'll see these men that just caused a lot of damage and Paul points them out, puts them on blast. Stay away from these guys. You got to stay away from people that are infecting the church. That's why a true child of faith has a determined sound doctrine. He knows what he believes because he studied the word. He's, He's meditated in the word and he lives in the word. Number five, a true child of faith has a daring conviction, has a courageous conviction, has a strong conviction. He knows what he knows, and he's going to do what he does because he knows what he knows, that he knows what he knows. And he knows that he's built his life on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. All of the ground is shifting sand. Everything else around is just hearsay. Things keep changing in the world, in the culture, in society. Things keep changing in politics and, and in social norms. Things keep changing and changing, but God's word has always stood the test of time. Those who make an impact for the cause of Christ must have this courage of conviction, of their convictions. And I keep going over this verse, and I keep coming back to it again. What Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 18-19, this I... This charge, the word charge that he's using here is a military word. This command, I am ordering you as a soldier. Later on, Paul calls him, Now we'll see this here in just a bit. Later on, Paul calls him a uh, a true soldier of the faith. But he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. He says, I want you to wage the good warfare. I want you to fight the fight. This is a command from the highest authority of all all armies in the world or in the universe, the commander-in-chief, the captain of the hosts. This is coming. Hold on and wage this good warfare. This is a command that Paul gave Timothy. This is a command that Paul is giving us. This is a command that God has instructed and given to us. Oh, Timothy, in, first, in chapter 620, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. People in Ephesus were doing what they wanted to do. They lacked the convictions of their pastor. They were compromisers, men not qualified to be elders. But yet they were out there trying to teach and lead and, and help doing it all for their own vainglory. And this courageous faith can be squashed. That's what happened to Timothy. Timothy was getting nervous. He was an anxious young man. He stuck to it. He had faith. He had sound doctrine. He had sound teaching. He had good examples. He had a godly demeanor. He was constantly praying, but you know, it gets discouraging sometimes when the pastor looks out and says, man, where did everybody go? It gets discouraging sometimes when he starts seeing all this backbiting and infighting. It gets discouraging when the church starts to follow the world instead of the word. It gets discouraging for a pastor sometimes when he, when he realizes that the people that he's talking to and that he loves and that he visits and he preaches to and he gives his life to and has given his life to serve don't like him. Talk bad about him. Talk about him and his family. It gets discouraging. For, and Timothy was just the same way. You know, one pastor once said, you know, I love church. Church is great. If it wasn't for all the people, you know, but that's what we have. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've, I've gone I've way over that long time. I've gotten way over myself. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God. I bring God the glory. Amen. So if you want to join me with that, we'll continue doing it. Amen. The more you continue joining to glorify God with me, I'll continue preaching. And until that day comes, uh, uh, or, I, or I give up, well, I'm not going to give up either. My life gives up, I should say. I'm going to be here. And to God be the glory. And, and, and so, so but you know, sometimes, and some, sometimes I need this verse. And, and I, I, I cannot lie. Sometimes I need 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, where Paul says, For this reason, I remind you, Pastor Sal, To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You may be discouraged as well with life and with faith or the church or whatever it is that you're doing. I want to remind you in the same manner, in the same vein, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And the gift of God is salvation. See, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin, you have to work for wages. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Fan in the flame that eternal life, recognizing that this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Fan in the flame what God has placed inside of you. It's a good deposit. It's a seal. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. He's guaranteed it. God holds you in his hand. Jesus holds you in his hand. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. What more do you need? You're living in eternity. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, and you are living in eternity right now, You don't have to die to get to eternity. You are in eternity right now because eternity is forever. It's from the beginning to the end. There is no beginning and there is no end. Eternity is always. So if Jesus Christ died for you and he's placed it to give you eternity, then eternity is already here for you. Fan that in the flames. Let that just burn within you and see what God can do. Wow, I'm already in each, uh, there's nothing, uh, nobody can do anything to me. Forget the, the left or the right or the political system. Forget the enemies of this world or forget the enemies of the United States. Forget the politics, you know, uh, forget Satan. What can he do to me? I'm already in eternity. Fan in the flame that and see what God can do, amen? Put that in, just start stoking that fire and blowing it and, and just fan it in the flame, fan it in the flame. And, and you know, you've seen a fire, you, you want to fan it, you want to blow on it, you want to get a billow and, and just <laughs> let it grow. Timothy, I'm sure, just stood just a notch higher that day. You're right, Paul. You're right. I can do this. I, can do this. I don't care what anybody else says. I can do this. We're going to find out. Timothy, ha- Timothy had a lot of opposition. He had a lot of false doctrine going on, a lot of false teachers. Everybody wanted to take him down one notch. He, th- he thought he was too f- People thought he was too full of himself. He's just a kid. He don't know what he's talking about. We'll find out that Paul says, "You know, you might want to drink a little bit of wine to settle your stomach because it looks like you got, sounds like you got ulcers. You might want to take, just take a deep breath, but stand in the flame what's been given to you. Let me ask you to stand. We're gonna get more in twenty four. Hey, I like that. We're, we're, we're gonna get, we're gonna get a, a lot more. Oh, okay, okay, I, I lost it. Never mind. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. Twenty twenty four is gonna be the year." where men are going to be challenged to discipleship. And we're doing that already. we got a good group. I say it's a good group, you know, because I wanted to to start with at least one. Hey, we've doubled that already, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's still room. Because I believe Jesus Christ, he called you a disciple. He didn't call you a Christian. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until Antioch. It was the world. They called us Christians. But Jesus Christ called you a disciple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for your love and your your protection. Thank you for all that you've done so far and given us this word. Lead us now as we all share the Lord's table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) We have what's called open communion. If you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and, um, you understand what, what it means to examine yourself, to check yourself. And, uh, and if you've, you've fallen short, you ask for forgiveness, and you move forward. We've all fallen short. Here today, we, we share this Lord's table so that you can uh, be reminded of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and also to look forward to be able to share this with him again. So as we move forward from this point forward, just go to the, the back of the room and pick up a, a cup and a wafer, and we'll share this Lord's table together. I'll wait on you. Good. <clears throat> when Paul was teaching the people in Corinth about the Lord's Supper, he was reprimanding them because they were, they used to have an actual meal that they would get together. And um, he says, You know, some of you guys come in and drink all the wine and get drunk and eat all the food. And by the time those that have been working all day show up, there's nothing there. It's chaotic. He says, I I don't understand what you guys are doing. But he said this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that together. Let's give thanks. Thank you, Father, once again, for sending the bread of life to this planet to die on the cross for us on how this wafer represents the body of Jesus Christ. It gives us no blessing. It doesn't give us any salvation. It's a mere symbol, a very important symbol of the body that was placed on that cross. Father, we thank you for Jesus that died for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. And then he said, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, and here's the part I was talking to you about, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, once again, we take this cup with the juice that represents your blood. The color, the consistency represents and looks like but lord we know it's symbolic and as paul had said every time we do this we proclaim the lord jesus christ's death on a cross but and it causes us to look back at what he did for us but it also causes us to look forward to the day that we will all share this together until he comes so once again lord we thank you for the juice and for this time that we're able to share this together we pray in jesus name and everyone says, Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. And also for your correcting. And the challenge on how to stand as a true child of faith. So lead us this morning out of here and to our fellowship. I pray for the food that's been prepared. That you bless and nourish, it, nourish us. And, uh, and nourish our fellowship, Lord, as we grow together. Thank you once again for helping us to celebrate this first Sunday of the year together. We pray for those that are not with us, that have been uh, struck with this uh, sickness. Be with them and help them to, to get better and to, and to grow new. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. All right, stick around. <music>